You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1941st edition of the St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 11th of August 2023. The editor of this edition is myself, Graham Parley, the producer is Roger Morris and your readers are Christian Jenner and myself, Graham Parley. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We'll commence with the headlines. Residents describe months of hell at mice-riddled flats. Teacher calls for parking signs to be more socially inclusive. Drivers rescued and trees fall in wet weekend. Homes near New Pylons may be offered compensation. Report. Residents of mice-infested flats in Bury St Edmunds have spoken of months of hell due to vermin running through their homes. Havebury Housing Partnership, which manages the flats in Vinefields off Eastgate Street, has come under fire for delays in tackling the pests. One resident, who wished to remain anonymous, said the mice had become a major problem, to the extent she had found dead mice in her flat numerous times. She criticised Havebury's response to the infestation and called for answers. They should be dealing with this. It literally has been three months of hell, she said. Nobody seems to want to do anything or listen or give us answers or give us a concrete timeline. Residents had found holes they believed the mice were using to get inside the flats. However, they said no action had been taken to block them. Some tenants were given plastic boxes to help protect their food, but the anonymous resident said she was not at home when these were distributed and there had been no follow-up from Havebury. As a result, she has been left with no means to protect her food from vermin. Meanwhile, she said the infestation had become so bad that she was reluctant to invite visitors to her home. Jack Carney, who recently moved out of the vine fields, also condemned Havebury's response. He said, The place is still riddled with mice, but Havebury are refusing to seal the property off or do anything with it. When I was living there, a mouse ran over my foot at one point. Another time, I found a mouse dead on the bedroom floor, and this is my in my otherwise clean flat with a cat. A spokesperson for Havebury Housing Partnership said, We are working with partner agencies and pest control to resolve this problem and are sorry it has taken longer than we hoped. Since we were made aware, our teams have been in regular contact and visited the affected residents on a weekly basis, offering them support and advice. We thank them for their cooperation in what we appreciate are difficult circumstances. Working with our specialist contractors, we have found what we believe to be the entry point and have implemented an action plan that, we hope, will eradicate the issue fully and create a permanent resolution. An English teacher is calling for greater clarity for town centre parking ticket machine signs. Megan Reynard, 
who is head of department at King Edward's School in Bury St Edmunds, has made the call after being fined £25 at the Ark Shopping Centre car park in May. Miss Reynard, who has Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD, says the payment signs are not easily understood for those who have neurodivergent conditions. She also feels they are confusing for those who do not have disabilities because of the deluge of information. The information is not clearly presented. There is a deluge of information including small print, bullet points, text and for someone like me or with conditions such as dyslexia it's easy to miss key bits of information. I would ask the council to examine the signage to make it more inclusive, as to me it seems outdated. The parking fine appeals process too seems arbitrary, to say the least, and dismissive of my lived experience. Miss Reynard had visited a cafe after paying £4 for three hours. She said I had put strategies in place to help me remember, including a mobile phone alarm. I then paid another £3 later via the Ringo app while at the cafe to renew and thought I would be okay. When I got back to the car, I found I had a ticket. I was shocked. I had to reread the information several times before I found out the maximum stay had been three hours. This information is very hard to see. When I asked several friends to find the information, they needed help finding it too. I felt like I had been tricked. Miss Reynard appealed to the council, but says she felt its attitude was dismissive in the initial appeals process. I decided to pay the fine because I could not face the further distress of being told that my lived experience with ADHD isn't real, simply because their understanding of neurological disability is limited and outdated, she said. Councillor David Taylor, West Suffolk Council Cabinet Member for Operations, said, All our car parks are reviewed by and have been awarded the Disabled Parking Association, DPA, award. We are committed to equality, following, follow all DPA recommendations, and continue to adhere also to British Parking Association guidelines. While we cannot comment on individual cases, we can confirm that the legislative appeals process were followed and indeed had not been exhausted. Storm Anthony caused fallen trees and flooded roads across the county at the weekend. Among the incidents, the drivers of three cards had to be rescued after they became trapped in a flooded road following torrential downpours. Fire crews were called to the incident near Butley Waters on Saturday. A spokesman for Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service said that the occupants of the vehicles were assisted to safety. Drivers were advised to avoid the area as the road was impassable. A yellow weather warning for thunderstorms and heavy rain was issued for the county on Saturday. High Road East in Felixstowe was closed for some time after a tree fell down and smashed a wall. A spokesman for Suffolk Highways said, A large tree has fallen overnight along High Road East Felixstowe. 
Drivers were asked to avoid the area until the tree has been cleared. The tree, which is believed to be hundreds of years old, smashed a wall as it collapsed onto the old Felixstowe Road. The incident happened near the Foxgrove and Maynell residential homes and the entrance to Tyndale Gardens. A number of roads in Felixstowe were flooded on Friday after heavy rainfall. Water was also seen bubbling up from Hadley Road in Ipswich. During the weekend, a spokesman for Suffolk Highway said, Due to heavy rainfall in the county, please take extra care when driving. Surface flooding on roads may take between 24 and 48 hours to clear, and if you spot an area that isn't clearing, please report it. Compensation may be offered to people living near new pylon lines, according to a new report. The report, welcomed by the government, recommends a set of guidelines for the community benefit with regards to the creation of new lines. The recommendations from the Electricity Networks Commissioner, Nick Winsor, have been published. They set out plans to accelerate the building of new electricity cables and pylons. Individuals and communities may be entitled to government financial benefits, which include a lump sum for households near new lines and a community fund for communities in these areas. Following the news, Dr Dan Poulter, MP for Central Suffolk and Ipswich East, opposes plans to build more power lines through Suffolk countryside. He said, when it comes to power lines connecting new sources of power production to the energy grid, what matters is where they are sited and I remain opposed to erecting new electricity pylons across the countryside when there are better options, including offshoring these new energy connections or putting them underground. I shall continue to work with the other MPs in our area to oppose the current plans from National Grid and fight for a better plan for either an offshore or underground solution for power transmission. It comes as part of the government's strategy to have a fully decarbonised electricity system by 2035 and to transition to net zero. The fund would be spent on green measures to decarbonise the energy system and homes. The report added that the undergrounding the power line costs between five and ten times more than overhead lines and causes more environmental damage. The publication comes as Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden said that renewable energy can be brought onshore in a way that does not blight our countryside, but that trade-offs would have to be made. The show will go on at a Suffolk theatre which has reopened after a forced closure following the discovery of a fire safety issue. The Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds was forced to close immediately on Thursday afternoon on advice of fire safety officers, meaning its performance of Suffolk Young People's Theatre, Ghost, the musical, had to be cancelled. Following work by a fire protection service on Friday, staff revealed the 7.30pm performance of the musical, which was scheduled to run from Wednesday, August 2nd to Saturday, August 5th, would go ahead on Friday evening. A spokesman said on Friday afternoon, We are delighted to say that all remaining Ghost to the Musical performances will go ahead as planned. We would like to thank P- 
Pirate Deck Limited for rearranging their schedule to complete the necessary work so quickly. If you had tickets and haven't yet been contacted, you can email us at booking at theatreroyal.org to let us know if you would like a refund or for your tickets to be transferred. We'd like to thank all our customers and the cast of Suffolk Young People's Theatre for their patience and understanding. Throughout the day on Friday, customers who had tickets for Thursday's cancelled show were contacted and offered the option to either rebook into other shows or to get a refund if they were not able to attend. An adaptation of the hit film, Ghost the Musical, follows Sam and Molly, a couple whose relationship takes a shocking turn after Sam's untimely death. Suffolk Young People's Theatre Summer School was founded 44 years ago and gives 14 to 21-year-olds the chance to take part in a full-scale production with two weeks of rehearsals and a week of shows at the theatre. The Theatre Royal was designed and built in 1819 and has many of its original features intact. My next article uh, actually links to the previous headline uh, regarding the pylons and it's written by the East Anglia Daily Time columnist Michael Cole. And its headli- its uh, headline is East Anglia Must Be Saved from Giant Pylons. Stop the Pylons. The beautiful face of East Anglia must be saved from the hideous scar of gigantic pylons marching from the North Norfolk coast across Suffolk through Essex to deliver North Sea wind power to a terminal on the Thames estuary. Norfolk, Suffolk and Essex councils are all against this outrageous proposal by National Grid. East Anglia's MPs are opposed, as are district councils whose people would suffer most. If democracy means anything, the government must tell National Grid to think again. National Grid says it would cost three times as much to underground the cables. So what? This is a long-term project. The cost would be rapidly written down, but the destruction of ancient woodlands, scenic valleys and precious farmland would last forever. When North Sea gas came ashore in the late 1960s, it was piped underground to the whole country, from the Backton Terminal on the Norfolk coast. National Grid wants pylons because insulation given by fresh air is is notionally free. But that ignores the ruinous price we would all pay in the loss of amenity. National Grid says it would bury the cables across Dedham Vale. If it can protect the landscape celebrated by Suffolk artists, Constable and Gainsborough, from a double line of pylons, it can protect the whole length of the proposed route, or even better, keep the cables offshore, lay them along the seabed and up the Thames. It makes perfect sense. A vision for further regeneration of a prominent seafront has taken another significant step forward. Final designs have been revealed for the next phase of improvements to reinvigorate Lowestoft's seafront. The designs for the redevelopment of Jubilee Parade on Lowestoft's seafront comes after East Suffolk Council was awarded £4.3 million through the government's levelling up fund in March. With the funding enabling the council to realise its vision and help to drive the visitor economy, 
A further £600,000 investment from East Suffolk Council's capital programme will make the total cost of the project £4.9 million. The development, which will complement the Eastern Edge Beach Huts next to it, will include a two-storey cafe, concession units, public toilets, a changing places facility and extensive public realm improvements to the surrounding seafront area. An accessible lift will also be installed to connect the lower promenade with the first floor level and improve wider accessibility between the upper esplanade and the lower promenade for wheelchair and pushchair users. Working closely with the council, Norwich-based Chaplin Farrant has developed designs ahead of submitting a planning application. Residents and local stakeholders can view the designs and proposed project timelines as events are held at the East Point Pavilion in July between 10 and 6 p.m. and at Eastern Edge between 10 and 1 p.m. And apologies, that date is in the past now, Wednesday the 26th of July. With ground investigation works taking place at the site in May, the improvements at Jubilee Parade are due for completion by May 2025. Toby Hammond, East Suffolk Council's Cabinet Member for Economic Development and Transport, said... In combination with other projects, this new development will help Lowestoft Seafront become a destination for visitors and somewhere for residents to enjoy and be proud of. These improvements are part of a programme of major regeneration works underway in Lowestoft, all of which aim to enhance the town for the benefit of residents as well as attracting visitors and businesses. A Bury St Edmunds business leader has urged shoppers to use it or lose it. When it came to supporting independent traders after a popular store closed, Auntie Pam's sweet shop in the Traverse welcomed customers for the last time on Saturday after nearly 20 years in the town and shut due to challenges faced following the COVID-19 pandemic, rising costs and the current cost of living crisis. Queues formed outside the run-up to its closure prompting business boss Mark Cordell to urge people to use the independent shops or risk losing them. In a tweet, Mr Cordell, the chief executive of Our Bury St Edmunds, said, What a shame there weren't this number of people queuing outside the shop before it announced its closure. We are lucky to have so many great independent businesses, but to survive they need the support from the local community. Speaking to the Bury Free Press, he added that the town continued to be a thriving retail centre, but people shouldn't be under any illusion that all this was okay for business. They're facing extreme economic circumstances in regards to supplies and utility bills, and the need and need the support of the local community if they are to survive, he said. We have a great reputation as a home for so many quality independent businesses, but for that to continue requires local residents to spend their money on our independent businesses. If that doesn't happen, then the makeup of our town centre businesses may well change. Jamie Coxedge took on Antipalms in 2019. 
It was previously run by Sheila Barnard, who retired after 11 years behind the sweet counter. A notice issued by the business last Tuesday said, Since 2004, we have had the privilege of servicing our community and building a strong relationship with our customers. As we bid farewell, we want to express our deepest appreciation for your loyalty and support over the years. It has been an honour to serve you, and we will cherish the memories and relationships we have built. Thank you once again for being part of our story. Wish you all the best and hope our paths cross again. A Bury St Edmunds branch of a veterans charity is calling on the community to help start a fundraiser to replace a memorial bench which fell into disrepair in time for a poignant anniversary. The Royal British Legion, RBL, Bury branch, hopes that a commemorative bench in memory of the soldiers who died in the Normandy campaign can be replaced in time for the 80th anniversary next year. The wooden bench, which was in the Abbey Gardens, was constructed in 2004 by the Normandy Veterans Association, which no longer exists, for the 60th anniversary of the campaign. It was removed in May because part of it had become rotten and was deemed unsafe. Nigel Wollstoneholme, chairman of the RBL Berry branch, hopes that members of the community can help launch the fundraiser to raise the £1,250 needed for a new bench, as the charity itself is unable to collect money for memorials due to its charter. He said, Normandy was when people didn't have an option. You had to go. You had to fight. It was all conscription. The minute you were 18, off you went. It was a huge, huge part of our history, and the townspeople who were involved in that should be remembered. It should be there for people to sit on and reflect. When the money is raised, the bench would then be placed in the Rose Garden, where there are other memorials and where the RBL holds services. Councillor Donna Higgins, West Suffolk Council Cabinet Member for Families and Communities, said... We are working closely with the Royal British Legion, who want to replace the bench with one which will mark the 80th anniversary of the Normandy campaign. Recognising the importance of the historic occasion this bench marked, and the sacrifices given in this campaign, we have found a more suitable spot in the Rose Garden, where similar military benches and memorials are situated. Once the new bench is installed, we will maintain it and carry out repairs that may be needed. We have also suggested how ways of funding could be obtained, and we hope to see it installed in the Abbey Gardens soon. Continuing the theme along uh, shops in Bury St Edmunds, this article is headed Still Empty Prime Location Shops in Post Office Scheme. Shops built as part of a multi-million district council redevelopment project in Bury St Edmunds, Town Centre, are still standing empty four months after the project was completed. The vacant shops are in a prime location on the ground floor of the former post office development fronting Cornhill, St Andrew Street South and Market Thoroughfare. A spokesman for the West Suffolk Council said, While we have received interest for both commercial units, we are ensuring any users are appropriate for the location. We acknowledge the letting market for retail property is challenging at present due to wider economic challenges 
and we, we will be looking at ways to refresh the marketing. In the meantime, our budget forecast allows for the holding costs while the units are vacant. The first shop, fronting St Andrew Street South, is a 1,410 square feet and marketed at a rent of £50,000 per year, while the second, fronting Cornhill, is 1,700 square feet and £60,000. The spokesman added that the holding costs were business rates, although there were none at present as we are using the National Empty Property Rate Relief. The multi-million pound post office redevelopment was officially completed and handed over to West Suffolk Council in March. The project was originally budgeted to be cost neutral to the taxpayer. However, it is not yet known if this aim has been met. The spokesman added, We are still in commercial, commercial negotiations over the final account with the contractor. Once this final position is clear, it will be reported back publicly to councillors. All but one of the site's residential flats have either sold or been reserved, with six already occupied. However, a penthouse flat with a guide price of £500,000 is still on the market. West Suffolk Council is to contact more than 5,000 district homes, offering fast applications for energy efficiency work to lower bills and reduce carbon footprints. The Warm Homes Suffolk scheme is being funded from more than £8 million given to a consortium of Suffolk district councils by the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero Home Upgrade Grade 2 scheme. The council will look at the homes, identified as being among those hardest hit by the cost of living crisis, in order to offer fully funded energy efficiency work. Councillor Donna Higgins, Council Cabinet Member for Families and Communities, said, These individuals and families are feeling some of the deepest impacts of the cost of living crisis, and we want to support them ahead of winter. I would ask anyone receiving a letter from us to give serious thought to the difference these measures could make to their lives and to get in touch. The Council is also inviting application from off-gas-grid homes who may be eligible for financial help under the same scheme to get in contact and you can find more on the Warm Home Suffolk website. A set of eco-homes have now been completed ahead of the launch of a 12-month trial that could help shape zero-carbon homes in the future. Taylor Wimpey, one of the UK's largest residential developers, announced its flagship eco-homes trial in Sudbury and is utilising different eco-technologies in the five homes. The site is a pioneering development that uses a range of energy-efficient and low-carbon technologies such as various air source heat pumps, electric panel heating, underfloor heating and sleek photovoltaic solar systems. The innovative trial is a response to the UK government's target to be net zero carbon by 2050. The first families will be able to move into the eco-homes by the end of this year. Stephen Andrew, a Group Technical Director, said This is the first trial of its nature on the live site. We've learned a lot of lessons ourselves and have that's been a very important aspect of it as well. 
As soon as the five families move in, we will be monitoring their experience over the following four seasons. We'd like to see how the technologies perform and what's the customer's experience living there. The five homes are fully electric with triple glazing and enhanced building fabric to reduce heat loss. These measures are set to radically reduce the carbon emissions and footprint of homes. The properties, a mix of two, three, four and five bed houses, are now in the process of price valuation. Richard Kinloch, the head of research and technical innovation, added, We've worked with about 26 manufacturers and suppliers to design these homes. The key thing for this trial is that the houses all have a different specification to provide heat and hot water, and we're the first developer who has done this on a live site. We also collaborate with other developers from different countries to understand how technologies work, and we take those lessons back to be applied to our designs. The developers added that the construction of the eco-houses did not take any longer than building regular houses. The Sudbury site will also include a dedicated educational hub that will showcase the approach, low carbon technologies and the materials used as part of the pilot. An allotment champion, who will act as a link between Bury St Edmunds Town Council and allotment holders, has now been appointed. Councillor Marilyn Sayer, who represents Tollgate Ward, was appointed allotment champion at last week's council meeting. The allotment champion will visit all sites managed by the authority and will attend meetings to help work towards resolving some of the issues raised by allotment tenants, such as Muntjac deer and the need for composting toilets. Councillor Sayer said, I'm very pleased to be an allotment champion. I'm a very keen gardener. I want to help the tenants as much as I can with their allotments. I empathise with them because I am a grower as well, so I know exactly the challenges that lie ahead. Councillor Diane Hind, Mayor of Bury St Edmunds, said, We are delighted to have appointed Councillor Sayer to add extra contact between council and allotment tenants. Her knowledge and enthusiasm for gardening and cultivation make her ideal for the role. Proposals for a huge health club on the edge of Bury St Edmunds have been approved. David Lloyd Leisure Limited has been granted permission from West Suffolk Council for a reserved matters application for the facility on a 2.01 hectare site fronting Sandlands Drive at Marham Park. A design and access statement said the site would include a three-court tennis inflatable air dome enclosure, three paddle courts, a multi-use court and a battle box facility. For swimming, there would be a five-lane 20-metre pool inside a 400 and 800-metre deep, uh, sorry, 800-millimetre deep learner pool and an outdoor leisure pool and an outdoor children's splash play zone. Other features listed were a three-court sports hall, 100 to 120 station gym, four studio spaces, a children's soft play and activity space. The Bury St Edmunds Society supported the proposal for a health and fitness centre on that area of Marham Park because, it said, It reverted to the original plan instead of the recently withdrawing planning application for 76 homes. 
It said, The proposed sports facilities will make necessary provision for the residents of Marham Park and also for people in surrounding areas. Fornham St Martin come St Genevieve Parish Council supported the application. A planning officer report said the buildings were of the scale expected and were larger than the surrounding homes. It said the development would not adversely affect the character of the area in what was always intended to be a mixed-use development and would not adversely, adversely affect visual amenity. The Council's Environment Officer objected as they failed to provide a detailed energy statement and did not comply to BREEAM, Building Research Establishment Environmental Assessment Methodology. However, the report said the application was for reserved matters and only those matters could be considered. It added any requirements relating to BREEAM, and energy efficiency would need to have been secured on the outline permission by a condition. And it's not possible to require this in a reserved matters application. The applicant has advised they would be building to the equivalent to a good rating for Bream. Planning has been approved for a new convenience store and takeaway vendor on a Burr St Edmunds estate. Proposals, submitted in April, said that two retail units would be built for the local centre on land at Lark Grange, on the edge of Morton Hall, near the Flying Fortress pub, as part of the wider housing development. One smaller unit will be for a hot food takeaway, while a larger unit will be for a Sainsbury's local store. The total site will be 460 square metres. The application, submitted to West Suffolk Council by LSP Developments Limited, will also include 19 car parking spaces, 8 cycle spaces and landscaping. Original plans said the Sainsbury store and takeaway would be open from 7am to 11pm Monday to Sunday. However, the store could be open 24 hours a day, according to a new licence application. Opponents of Network, Network Rail's plans to close Newmarket's much-used Weatherby Railway foot crossing are celebrating after a planning inspector upheld his previous decision that it should remain open. Inspector Mark Yates this week issued a final order in favour of residents and town district and county councils who had united in opposition to the closure leaving Network Rail with only recourse to the High Court if they decide to pursue their case. The company had been trying to close the crossing, which links two sides of the town. Since 2016, initially on the grounds of safety, but when they were unable to show that there was a reasonable alternative route for pedestrians at the first public inquiry in 2020, Mr. Yates ruled against them. The question that arose next was whether the crossing was a public right-of-way because none had been recorded at that time, said resident Michael Smy, who led opposition to the closure from the start. I sent off an application to Suffolk County Council to establish a right-of-way which they recorded, so Network Rail then objected to that, leading to a second inquiry which came in three parts, said Mr Smy. 
At the end of part one, Mr Yates ruled there was a public right-of-way with a width of 30 feet. Following another objection from Network Rail, part two saw a second ruling in favour of their opponents, but with a reduction in width to 14 feet. This week, in his final order, Mr Yates upheld his previous decision, but said the crossing should be designated a restricted byway rather than a footpath, meaning it can be used by cyclists and potentially motorcyclists and horse riders, and not just pedestrians as it would be if it remained a footpath. I am pleased by the inspector's decision, which confirms the public's right of way over the crossing. The people of Newmarket have known this for years, and now Network Rail does too, said Mr Smy. We owe huge thanks to Newmarket Town Council for its financial and administrative support, to Dr Rachel Wood for her research and coordination of the evidence, to Ross Emrys Roberts, our expert witness, and to our barrister, Meryl Golden. In the euphoria of the moment, let us not forget the stamina and stoicism of Mr Yates over the course of all three inquiries, added Mr Smy. Police will be making frequent visits to Bury St Edmunds schools throughout the summer after travellers pitched up on a playing field last month. At a Bury St Edmunds town council meeting last week, police community support officer PCSO Mark Ellis said regular checks will be made to Sybil Andrews Academy in Morton Hall and other schools after a group of travellers pitched up on the academy's sports field on the 17th of July. Councillor Begita Mega, who represents Morton Hall Ward, spoke to the school and understood that travellers in 26 caravans made their way onto the grounds at 6.30pm until 9.30pm. She also said the school is looking to put up signage on the gates, making it clear people are entering school grounds. Councillor Mega, who is also a West Suffolk councillor, said... That shows the absolutely amazing benefit that we get from having now sponsored the PCSOs via the Town Council. As residents, we know we have these PCSOs available and that they can do these sorts of inspections. And now we'd like to move on to some letters. And this is a, a long letter from Charles Whitfield King, Ipswich. Losing faith in Council's road strategies. Suffolk County Council Highways Department have a new slogan on their vans. Your roads, our business. Should it not really read, your roads, none of our business, as this would be more appropriate in my view. Two years ago, the Suffolk County Council Highways Department, in their infinite wisdom, decided to block off Jovian Way to stop traffic going between Bramford Road and Europa Way. It did nothing to solve the problem and pushed all the traffic into Bramford Road instead. As a result, horrendous queues, many times of the day, formed way past the Bramford Road-Sprouton Road junction, up to and beyond where I live, and now often impossible along the other residents to get in and out of my property with their car. When I wrote to SEC, highways with my concerns, they informed me they had a vote for the residents in that close regarding implementing a roadblock in Jovian Way. 
However, no consultation with those living close by in Bradford Road, who it involves just as much. In the same letter, I was also informed the roadblock was part of their green strategy. I can assure them there is nothing green about a queue of cars bellowing out carbon dioxide outside your house and garden several times a day, even worse on a football day. SCC also said a new link road of just a few hundred yards long between Bramford Road and Europa Way near the A14 bridge would sort the problem. What progress do we have? Absolutely nothing. So instead of getting on with this work, SCC have decided to come back to Jovian Way and reinforce the barricades to the closed road. This is along with ignoring the request to synchronise the traffic lights properly. This, in my view, is yet another example of incompetence the SCC Highways Department have created, along with a new redundant bus lane in West End Road. Is it any wonder residents have lost all faith to the SCC Highways Department with their ridiculous road strategies? And this is a letter sent by email from Peter Critchley. Some good news at last. We are now world leaders in homelessness. The figures recorded for those having to live in temporary accommodation is the highest ever recorded since records began 25 years ago. It's clear to me that Conservative policies are working really well. It is estimated that £5 billion is needed to solve the problem. The government has paid just £2 billion, a saving of £3 billion, and they have spent that wisely in the form of severance payments of tens of thousands of pounds to Conservative MPs who have either been sacked, resigned or who are just incompetent. It is very important and indeed welcome to know that taxpayers' money is being spent on the rich, to heat their swimming pools, for example, and not on the poor, as they were just wasted on food and fuel. Uh, My next letter is from C. Fletcher, and it's headed, Over 50s have done hard yards. Mel Stride, and in the 80s Norman Tebbit, were wrong to suggest unemployed over 50s must get on bikes implying we are unwilling to diversify and find work. We have worked hard already, contributing to the system, including to MPs' salaries, and we are capable of pragmatism concerning future prospects. Many apply for work below their qualifications and typical pay, but from experience are unfairly rejected by employers. During the last recession, following redundancy, I pursued lower-grade jobs in vain. One employer even suggested I sounded too posh to need work. I had the skills but lost out as a result of perceptions. Only when applying for management posts was I successful. And this letter from Anne and Michael to Road is headed Tackle Up Staff were simply the best. Angling shop Tackle Up in St John Street, Bury St Edmunds made my grandson's day. Holidaying on a fishing trip from Australia, the rod he purchased snapped. Fearing the worst, we went back to the shop and the staff were so concerned and helpful. We said we would buy a new rod to take back to Australia, but Tackle Up said choose any rod and no charge. We found another rod slightly dearer and paid the difference. Hence, one happy 13-year-old boy. We were so thankful. The staff went above and beyond. Tackle up, you were simply the best. And this letter is from Jonathan Juby, Frinton-on-Sea. Trade deal and sovereignty. 
If John Dell, letters August the 1st, really believes that laws made unilaterally in one or other of the member nations of the CPTPP, which is Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, will be binding on the UK against our will. So be it. It is not, however, reality, which is, of course, that rules have to be agreed by the member nations and ratified by their governments. Sounds familiar? Oh yes. Isn't that pretty much what happened in the EU? Though Mr Dell and I are as far as the East is from the West, to quote Psalm 103, on the question of Brexit, and will probably remain so, I hope we can agree to differ with mutual respect and goodwill. I offer him mine. And this letter from David Hickman is headed, Please see sense over ticket office closures. I'm appalled at the news that the government and rail industry have formally announced plans to close almost a thousand ticket offices at stations across the country. If ticket offices are closed, it will be devastating for disabled people, the elderly, people with learning difficulties and many more people who rely on being able to speak to someone at a station in order to be able to get around. Losing staff at stations is crucial for access to information, to waiting rooms, to facilities and has a big impact on safety. Despite the massive implications for passengers, the rail companies and the government are ploughing ahead. I support the rail strikes and I believe that ticket offices and station staffing need to be protected. I encourage everyone to respond to the consultations and hope that the government will see sense. Finally, these train companies make profit on top of their current employer costs. They can afford to pay these staff costs and help passengers stay safe on the railway. And this next letter is from John Davies, Bury St Edmunds. Lack of choice for voters. A very interesting article by Paul Geeter, Opinion August the 3rd, on the choice of Conservative candidate, candidate for West Suffolk, Nick Timothy. Especially the paragraph, but in the run-up to the selection, all the vibes I was getting suggested to me that wasn't what the people of West Suffolk wanted this time. Paul then went on to write of another possible choice, Richard Wright. I wonder who the voters would have chosen if they had a choice of candidates. This is the problem with FPTP, first-past-the-post, voting. We have only one party person to vote for. With proportional representation, we would have a choice of candidates. I have read many of Paul Geeter's articles, but cannot recall anything on PR, and I look forward to reading what he has to say on this subject. And Andy Blackburn's letter is headed, What kind of climate legacy will we leave? I am disappointed, but not surprised, by the reaction to the Uxbridge by-election result by the more lunatic fringe of Tory MPs. Sadly, it seems that they are joined by the leader of the Labour Party, and he shares their response to the Tories narrowly retaining the Uxbridge and South Ryslip seat. It seems that because the West London Turkeys voted for their polluted air at Christmas and rejected a necessary policy for preventing a lethal atmosphere in London, the two main political parties are rapidly rowing back on their commitments to green policies, to not only combat climate change, but to try to prevent so many flora and fauna species becoming extinct. So while we are having a soggy summer, people are dying 
as southern Europe burns. Now is not the time to abandon climate change mitigation policies just for a brief political hiatus. We have just returned from a holiday which included our two-year-old granddaughter. It was such fun. I don't want my legacy to her to be a future where the overheating climate produces a world of starving people migrating from rising sea levels, drought, floods and hurricanes, with the inevitable pushback from safer countries and the consequent wars, religious and political fanaticism and misery. And this is a short letter uh, from Andrew Hartley. Michael Day hit the nail on the head. What a succinct summary of the lily-livered media's spineless approach to reporting on politics. Will it finally call a spade a spade, liars liars and blackguards? Well done, Michael, for flying the flag of decency. Ever thought of standing yourself? Antiques expert Mike Hicks asks, where have all the sideboards gone? Some weeks ago, I did a piece on the changes in British social habits regarding home layouts and furniture demands that have led to demand for certain items of antique furniture. I deprecate the term brown furniture. There's no such thing as brown furniture. There is the most wonderful range of woods that have been grown in this country and abroad over the last five centuries that are still available in pieces of furniture to enhance our homes. But during the last 20 years or more, there has been changes in our living conditions that have brought about a demand and a complete withdrawal from certain types of furniture, brown or any other colour. The fact that many modern homes, particularly the new builds, do not have a formal dining room anymore has therefore meant that the demand has dropped considerably and with this we see a drop in prices. Recently, I had a dealer colleague who has a shop in the Midlands say, Mike, we are suffering from the sideboard syndrome, which he meant that with the demise of the dining room, we no longer need a sideboard, as eating and entertaining now is done in the kitchen, somewhat more than has been the norm in the past, and so the need for a sideboard has gone. This, in turn, means that we no longer need the items in the sideboard because they will be contained within the kitchen cupboards. As the cupboards are already full with kitchenalia of some sort of other, the surplus of china and glass comes onto the market. I do believe that most charity shops are full, and with the lack of demand we find there is more available than we can sell. This, in turn, forces down the prices considerably. It doesn't seem long ago that we had a wonderful china shop in Magdalen Street in Norwich that had been there for generations, that sold all the finest pottery and porcelain. The contents of the 1940s sideboard held china and cut glass you could all the china and cut glass you could imagine that sort of shop has gone quite what the future holds for the pottery porcelain and glass industry i'm not sure this doesn't mean that everything is no longer collected there are factories and makers that are keenly sought after today but they are very much in the minority Wherever possible, use those glass dishes and bowls. Use the dinner services for everyday use. Make use of quality items that were made for that particular purpose. And let's watch over the next few years what other changes are brought about by our 21st century living. And uh, my feature article is from our local historian, Martin Taylor. And it's headed, End of the Road for Old Bus Station. 
1947, the Eastern Counties Omnibus Company opened its Bury St Edmunds bus station in Brent Grovel Street, then a major route through the town, though negotiating the narrow Looms Lane, not yet widened, was a major challenge for the drivers. Only when the Bury Bypass was opened in 1973 was the situation improved. The bright red single-decker and double-decker buses were sandwiched into the station. Diesel engines idling in cold weather, anyone sitting around on the benches, provided having to put up with obnoxious fumes. One vestige still visible from on his and her hair salon is that of the original station clock, vital for those waiting patiently for their return trip to the housing estates or villages hoping the timetable is correct. The Round Inquiries Office was much used, a facility now greatly missed from the replacement bus station in St Andrew Street North, which had opened in 1996. As by 2015 it was announced there was to be no staff on duty. With service curtailed at this very strange looking facility, which opened in 1996, costing £1.2 million. There is plenty of room for buses, but I'm afraid no longer help for the public. With the closure of the Brent Grovel Street bus station in 1987, there is to be a major changes in the area. In place of the station would be built a McDonald's adjacent Purdy's wonderful restaurant closed. Its last manager, Mr Coles Hill, opening up a smaller version at the rear, top garden Chinese takeaway there now, albeit for a short time. Perhaps the biggest change is the site of the iconic Focus Cinema, but remembered by many as the Odeon Cinema. This Art Deco Cinema of Oscar Deutsch opened in 1937, later listed then delisted, is demolition in 1982. A tragedy. In its place, Cornhill Walk, a shopping mall, which led you in, but went nowhere, opened in 1987. It lasted barely 28 years, closing its doors in 2015. Since then, various applications to demolish this carbuncle and build a new development have been put forward, but this currently has stalled and its future awaits. A university chancellor whose great-grandmother was the leader of the UK suffragette movement has called for more consistency across younger people voting in the UK. Activist, scholar and writer Helen Pankhurst, CBE, is championing for those aged 16 and 17 to have more of a voice when it comes to politics. The Chancellor of the University of Suffolk is the great-granddaughter of British political activist and the organiser of the UK suffragette movement, Emmeline Pankhurst, and the granddaughter of Sylvia Pankhurst, who also led the suffragette movement. She was appointed as Chancellor of the University of Suffolk in 2018, a hundred years after some women were given the right to vote. She said, at the moment in Scotland and Wales, younger people are allowed to vote in local elections. Why not have a consistency to that and allow it in England? Another point is that older people are still able to vote, but then there are 16 and 17-year-olds who have a voice, but they're not being heard. Why are the voice of the views of older people being heard, when I believe it is really important to include the younger generation so that they can be heard too?
The world needs to be shaped by the views of 16 and 17 year olds because the most important issues affecting us, such as climate change, we know that the younger generation are concerned about it, so surely we need to hear their views and policies. She has also said that ways to get more younger people involved in politics would be to have debates at school, reflecting on issues such as the environment and democracy. She continued, From my experience with younger people, the more you engage with them, the more they engage with the world, and that's a really positive ambition to reflect. Access to a riverside car park reached by an ageing bridge in Bungay is to be restricted despite long-awaited repair works to the crossing finally starting. The project to strengthen Millstream Bridge at Bungay, Stave, began this week. The dramatic operation involved more than five tonnes worth of concrete being pumped into the damaged culvert beneath, which is hoped will support the collapsing bridge. However, it has emerged that when the work is complete, the car park situated opposite the Riverside Centre at Stave will have access restricted to just key holders. East Suffolk Council, which owns the car park, will insert a lockable bollard system to prevent vehicles' access to it. The bollards will be placed before the Riverside Centre. Bridge owner Tim Charles said, I feel great that work has begun and we are getting somewhere. I love this operation because this is the work which is actually going to strengthen the bridge. An East Suffolk Council spokesman said, East Suffolk Council has a right of access across a privately owned bridge and has reached an agreement with the owner, recognising that the bridge is not open for general public vehicular use, but extending the right of access to people accessing the Riverside Centre for a specific purpose. This includes parking on East Suffolk Council land surrounding the Riverside Centre for the purpose of attending Bungie Town Council meetings, as well as attending Bungay Sea Scouts or Waveney Valley Canoe Club. Bungay Town Council is in a statement said they had no involvement in the negotiations as these were undertaken between East Suffolk Council and Mr Child. Well we're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. So if you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. I'd like to add that because we have had technical difficulties, it will mean that you will actually receive this memory stick later than you normally get it. So if you could uh, bear with us on that one. Obviously, I appreciate you're not going to know this until you receive the memory stick. But uh, that's uh, the explanation is now there as to why you are going to be late in receiving it. In addition, I'd like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Bury Free Press, the East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, hopefully with no technical difficulties. So until then, from Roger, Christian and Graham, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St. Edmunds studio.